is it synonymous for the person? If you're not defining yourself, you're letting other people define you for you. There are two buckets with personal brand. There is relevance and there is credibility. You can be relevant, but not credible. Like you can have a lot of followers on social media, but not be respected. My motivation was driven by a hell and a heaven. I really believe that in, in all stories or in life, a person who quits easily is someone who doesn't have a heaven to be able to pursue a goal and something to run away from. And I had this desire from when I was adopted to not feel that insecurity and not to feel like I don't have enough. Who do I need to be? The inner work. That shows me what to do then I can have. There's only three places you can live in your mind. It's past, present and future. The overarching idea of those three tenses is do you want to live a good life or do you want to live a shit life? And there's no other option. Just quickly before we get started, guys, if you've been enjoying the podcast, can I please ask that you consider leaving a five-star review and subscribing on whatever platform you've been listening. It really helps the podcast grow. All right, so I'm going to start this one with some fun facts. I don't usually list off some facts, but I think it's 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 a perfect time to highlight this. I think a lot of people have already started to clue on and um, to the effectiveness and the power and, and the necessity now of personal brands. But let me just read off, I wouldn't call it stats, but these are just little facts. Some of them I got for me, some of them I got from my own research. So uh, as I was saying, we're living in a, a time where personal brands are becoming more powerful than the brands themselves. Now, I want you to think about this. Now, Elon has more followers than Tesla. Richard Branson has more followers than Virgin. Gary V has more followers than VaynerMedia. Conor McGregor has more followers than the UFC and his whiskey label, Proper 12 combined. And obviously Tony Robbins has way more followers than any of his businesses. Now, Elon will send out a tweet and the whole world will go into a meltdown. The power of personal brands is growing more, obviously on the top end, I just named some really big celebrities, but what we're starting to see in terms of my world in e-com and startups, the founder story from the beginning seed phase is what's propelling so many businesses forward. So um, I can't wait to talk to you and get into your head about the power of personal brand and, and why everyone should be developing it, how they go about it. Some people, maybe the introverted ones will be like personal brand. That's not what I've ever thought about doing, but um, I'm going to unpack on all that with you today. Now, my guest is known as the personal branding sensei. He's a TED talk speaker and one of the leading personal brand experts in the country. He's the founder of Q Media uh, and Social Kung Fu, as well as the co-founder of the Business Academy, Mr. Matt Purcell. Welcome to Life, oh, Money, and Love, fella. Thanks, Scott. It's good to be here. Um, as I said, you're, you're, you're known as a, an expert around the world, particularly in Australia. Everyone knows you as a, a personal branding leader, a thought leader in that space. We'll get to all that, but just for you, because you've had such an interesting story, I think for the people that don't know you, where you come from, mm. the journey you've been on to get here, I think we'd be doing the listeners a disservice if we didn't kind of get to know the context of, of who you are and how you became this person. Now, there's one phrase that you use that I fucking love, Asian hardware, Australian software. Now, you can kind of explain that to what you mean by that to the people listening. I think it'll give a good little bit of context about the man you are and where you've come from and everything you've built from there. Yeah. So my voice right now doesn't sound Asian. So, but I'm Asian. My hardware is Korean and I'm a banana. So I'm yelling the outside one. <laughs> so I can be reverse, a bit of reverse racism there. Um, but the reason behind that is because I'm adopted. So when I was about three or four or five years old, I noticed my dad looked different to me and my mum looked different to me. And I thought maybe I was kidnapped. <laughs> and, and I asked them like, what the hell's going on? And they said, we're adopted to you. You know, your parents from Korea couldn't have you. And, and we've chose you. And I asked, oh, great. And it didn't bother me at all until uh, they split up when I was six. Yep. So when I separated, when I was, when they separated when I was six, it really put me into a deep uh, identity crisis, even as a little kid. I don't know if you've hung with kids from the age of six upwards, but they can get pretty 
deep and pretty like inward. And I started getting very insecure about uh, not achieving enough, not getting enough attention. And I was like that till, I don't know, I was, I was getting suspended at school. I was, I wasn't a good kid and I was, uh, because I was broken. I'd moved like 13 times as a kid and lived with my mum for a while. Um, I used to see my mum put money in envelopes. She had the envelope system. She'd get her money from maintenance from dad or from her part-time babysitting jobs and put the cash in for rent, shoes. And then I'd ask for shoes or something like that. She'd be like, I have to wait six weeks. So I'd just see that. And then my dad got a better job later on in life and I bounced between his world of you could have whatever you want, stay up, no rules, to <laughs> mum's like, no, you've got to be re- we got to really be really tight. And so that was a bit of an introduction to me realising that the identity topic is a big deal because I didn't know who I was and because I didn't know who I was, I would copy everyone and just be whoever what people wanted me to be. Yeah, now that, that kind of feeds into what we're going to talk about later, social kung fu. And, and a big part you mentioned, some of these kids, you still spend time with kids who do a lot of speeches in schools about bullying and self-belief and confidence and how to combat these situations. But talk to me a little bit about that that moment you said, like you weren't necessarily a good kid, you were easily led, and how deep the thoughts are of these children now. Obviously, I'm 30 years old now. I don't remember what I was thinking at the age of six or seven, but what, what is it about that age that's become so pivotal pivotal Fuck, I can't speak pivotal <laughs> for the development of like characteristics and self-belief and confidence from such a young age. Because I get asked all the time, how do you build self-confidence? But a lot of the time it's, you can do it as an adult, but the foundations are very much laid as a child and going through the adolescence period. How would you relate to that? Yeah. So as a kid, like as, or as children, we are a mixture of, you know, DNA and also our environment. So when our environment is, uncertain. So like mine was like moved house so many times. So I didn't know where I was going to be. And having that awareness that we didn't have a lot of money. And as a kid in that game, it's like, well, I'm freaking out over not I don't want to be thinking about this stuff at six years old. Like do mum mum's like, oh we can't we have to go to Nana's house tonight because we don't have enough money to be able to eat this. Mm -hmm. So that puts you that affects you so much to be like, well, if I can't do that, then to, in order to survive, I need to work or I need to achieve lots. And yeah, the, the ages between six and 12 or six to nine research says that from what I've, I've gathered with the programs, I'm in collaboration with the University of Sydney with this stuff, is um, yeah, our, we're, we're just like this clay and we're molded by people's words, people's like the environment we're in. So I, I really felt a lot of stress and and I was seeking, and when you're young, it doesn't matter if you're in corporate world or if you're a kid, when you're inexperienced, you look to people who appear experienced and confident and you tend to mimic that and want to be around that. And that could be off facade, <laughs> which I found because I'd hang around kids that were um, running a mark and having, looked like they're having fun, but involve hurting people. Because the instinct to seek approval and fit in, in in that age range is so strong. It's the most important thing I feel like reflecting, thinking back to my life and, and, and thinking about, you know, something that you're really passionate about bullying and, and how people communicate with each other. All you want to do at that age is fit in and be, mm. be, have friends and be accepted and maybe be the cool kid or at least not be bullied. So those instincts are heightened so much at that age. Now you mentioned you, you, you struggled with that. You were moving around a lot, looking up to the wrong people. So that was who you are as a child, as a kid going through those ages. Now I can see who you are now. I've obviously done research on you. You're a very well-respected person. How did you navigate that and come out the other side of the person you are now? Yeah. Well, when I was about 13, 
I was given a guitar and I had no idea if I'd like it or not. I was just throwing spaghetti at the wall. I was playing cricket, you know, soccer, <laughs> yeah. all that stuff. And that was the first time I realized that one, I had a gift of pattern recognition. Pattern recognition meaning I could hear a song on the radio or back then it was a radio or CDs and I could sit down and figure it out by ear and I get guitar lessons, but then I actually was self-taught a lot of the time and figured out, okay, I know what key we're in now, but with having little information and I could look at ads and recreate those types of things as a teenager. And I, well, I thought that when, when you have a gift, you assume in the early stages that everyone else sees the same thing. Like, oh, everyone knows, everyone hears that, but it's absolutely not true. Mm. So I went around life thinking, oh, yeah, well, can't you do that? Can't you do that? And it was me figuring out that I mean, one of the best pieces of therapy I've ever had as a kid going through struggles was sitting down, being able to figure out the hardest song at that time that I didn't think I could get, figuring out by myself and getting to that point going, wow, I actually figured this out. I'm not a piece of shit. Yeah. And knowing that, wow, I can do so. So a little bit of accomplishments goes a long way. And we talked about a little bit about, you know, attention seeking and all that. And that is part of a human need. So we have human needs and it spills into marketing and a whole bunch of stuff. What we do with, with, with personal branding is that we're actually tapping into not trends, but human psychology, human needs. So people say things like, Oh, he's needy or she's needy. That's not necessarily a bad thing. It's actually just over saying that someone's overcompensating on a need. They're not getting enough attention and attention's a good thing. So I, I like to be able to make sure that we balance the view here on attention's not bad. Mm-hmm. Attention seeking is just an, is a phrase that we use to be able to say that there's a deficit of not having enough or they need validation for something. And validation is important too. Because mm-hmm. if you don't get validation as a kid, going back to that point, then you it, we admit that our confidence and our identity and our value system is based on some third-party thing. We can't be self-made truly. We need feedback. I mean, God, you can't even see. I, I'm the only one in this situation where I can see your face and you're the only person who can see my face. And in order for you to see your face, you have to see a reflection. So you can't even see yourself without somebody telling you or an object reflecting back to you. And we're fools if we think that we can become the best version of ourselves if we're we're just islands. So that that feedback that you get is how you're able to make like decisions about how you view yourself. Are you good enough? Are you talented? Are you useless? Are you worthless? Now, I know playing, getting given that guitar, buying that guitar and figuring, hey, I'm actually really good at something that not everyone has this gift. That in terms of building confidence, you would, you would have heard a mozzie say like the way to build, everyone talks about all these woo-woo ways to build confidence, but the way you can really do it is stack undeniable proof time after time after time that you are who you say you are, that you can achieve things. Is that one of the ways finding something you're good at and really working on that craft that you encourage people to, to build confidence? Or do you have other tactics or messages that you try and implore people to explore within themselves to, you know, come out of their shell, really own who they are, you know, we, we all know being yourself is your superpower because no one can replicate that. If I start trying to be you, I'm going to look like an idiot. Mm. You start trying to be, be like me, everyone's going to be like, that just doesn't feel right. Mm. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, I think people are taught to care about what other people's voices. So let me rephrase. People are trained very early on in life to be able to give more weight to the voices and the opinions of other people about a certain matter where the real power is recognizing that you have, you're an audience member yourself. 
So there is an audience member in myself. So when I would hear myself play guitar or record a voice memo of me talking about an idea out loud and hear myself play back to myself, there's an audience member in me that says that's bullshit or that's actually on, on song or in sync. And we forget that there's that internal validation, not the external validation. We leave ourselves out of the equation. And I think, yes, confidence is created through evidence for sure. And I think also we also need to be able to submit that evidence to other people who are better at a different level to us. And we can only become mastered at something if we find a worthy opponent. So in Japanese philosophy or Japanese martial arts, that's why you see on Naruto and Pokemon and One Punch Man, they're always seeking what? A worthy opponent, a worthy fight, a worthy death. Because in order to become a master, you must be able to take on feedback and be pushed to your limit. So that reveals to you and to the world that you are better than whatever is coming at you. And that's the only way to improve. But in so many people avoid that because it's a negative feeling. I don't want to feel this bad pain, but you miss out on earning or accessing that level you're dreaming of. So I think it's really key. Manifestation's bullshit in my view. It's like this whole idea of manifestation, this whole idea of believing that manifestation is this. If I see a goal, and I really want it and I can speak it out and I can write it down, then I'm going to attract it. It's absolute bullshit. It's, a, it's like acting like Harry Potter <laughs> and saying, I see it and I'm going to speak it out loud like a magic spell and it's going to reveal itself to me. That is absolute rubbish. And, and I see it online all the time where really anything that you see that is successful, remember it's rare. There's a reason why not many people are like that and they deserve it. They've earned it. It is, it is, reaping, is reserve, reaping is reserved for the sowers and answers are reserved for the questioners. And I think to replace manifestation, we've got to replace it with the idea of visualization where you figure out, I love that and I'm going to work toward it rather than I want that, it's going to come to me. They need to be hand in hand. Like I'm a big believer, like the law of attraction visualization has been a big part of my journey, but I was talking to Dane about this yesterday. If I just sat my eyes and thought about all these things and did nothing about it, literally zero is going to change. Now I, 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 I want to ask you something about what you just said. Now, again, a lot of people will avoid that, that feedback, that external feedback because it's uncomfortable because you know, any feedback to a lot of people that's not positive is really confronting and can really you know, see this bad spiral of thoughts that they're not good enough. Now, in order to combat that, is it a change of perspective and just getting accepting feedback as part of the process? Or is it finding something you're passionate about enough that facing that uncomfortable feeling of the feedback is worth it because you're so hungry to move forward because you've found your purpose, your passion, your ikigai? I think I get, I've gotten better at this in my life as I got older. Um, I didn't have the frameworks or tools that I know now when I was going through it, but I always knew this, that in order, my, my motivation was driven by a hell and a heaven. I really believe that in, in all stories or in life, um, a person who quits easily is someone who doesn't have a heaven to be able to pursue a goal and something to run away from. And I had this desire from when I was adopted to not feel that insecurity and not to feel like I don't have enough. And I've had this dream of being enough. So a lot of adoptees have a lot of identity issues where our friends with Lane Beachley, who's um, a client of ours, we talk about this a lot, how she won her first world championships out of a place of fear, not from a place of love. 
Because in order to be able to feel worthy of love, you have to achieve a lot. And that's the the challenge I've faced in my life. Mm-hmm. So when you have that as motivators, it's not easy to quit. But in order to take feedback on well, you have to be really self-aware about a couple of things. And I have a few methods of doing that. One is I have to be really self-aware of inputting into this little Excel sheet in my mind about what I believe about life. So like my body is the first thing you notice. Mm-hmm. I'm a certain height. I'm Asian. I have a mustache. I wear a certain type of clothing. I put that into that spreadsheet, that, that the whole column. Then I move to my interests. What level am I at with X? What do I, that's my opinion only, no one else's. And I keep going across to more invisible qualities of my beliefs and then my past. And then I attack it or I ask of people, what do you see that I trust? And they might be like, yeah, it confirms you are Asian and you are far blah, blah, blah. And you, at least you have an input of yourself in there. So I think I'm okay at at speaking. And then I have someone who's doing it for 10 years saying, you're good, but you're not great yet. I'm like, oh, there's a conflict here between my version and their version. And that's where I wrestle with, well, do I want to be able to be greater? And let's have a, let's investigate that. So I think that's a really great place. Or you're just unstable in all your ways if you don't have your own input to begin with. A, a baseline to be improved, to be able to be improving from. Where, where do you stand? It's on one of the things Gary, Gary V says, like he says, like if someone gives me a compliment, I can't take it on someone because at the same time, if someone criticizes me, I can't take it on. Now it's really difficult in terms of taking feedback. You can't just take the positive feedback and ignore the negative, you, but then sometimes people only take on the negative feedback and ignore the positive because of their own self-worth issues. How do you, how do you navigate that? It's a, it's such a balancing act. You want to have, in my opinion, the way I, I have my own core view of who I am, my value, who, I, what I stand for, but I also want to be self-aware enough to the point that, Hey, I'm not going to, my confidence isn't going to be shattered if someone on the street says a negative thing about me, but I still want to be open enough to take on that feedback. It's, it's tricky. Do you, do you like to be everything you need for yourself in terms of that belief or can you still navigate having that strong foundation internally and still taking on some of this um, feedback, whether it be positive or negative without that either giving you a big head or completely crushing your confidence? I think you have to dial in what you want to be and who you think you are first. Yes. You have to have a baseline to be able to work from, or I'm a chameleon one day, I'm this person, whoever you say I am, I am. So who you are is whose you are. So like, who, who's are you? Are you your mates? Are you the corporate guys? Are you the creative identity? And based on that foundation and your motivation, or that your motives to be able to improve or where you want to go, you, I, I subscribe to Bruce Lee's philosophy on discard of what's not useful and, and keep what is useful. Like I can learn lessons from a, a bum on the street about life or um, someone who's had five marriages or because <laughs> There, a failure is the best lesson there. Mm-hmm. But if someone's come out to me saying, oh, Matt, I think you're this and blah, blah, blah. I at least, if I don't have an input dialed in, I'm like, oh, maybe he's right. But based on the, what we've said in this conversation already before about confidence and evidence and things like that and where I want to go, I have to be in the position to be like, nah, he's wrong. Yeah, Like it's not aligned to me. He, he He's a stranger, has no idea what he's talking about. Oh, that's an interesting perspective. I'll put that on the shelf. <laughs> 
All right, guys, just quickly, I've got some news. I've spent close to the past 18 months building the ultimate program that takes you through the complete process, and I mean the complete process of launching and scaling your very own e-commerce brand from zero all the way up to a million dollars plus per year. And now with this program, what you're gonna get access to is 15 modules with over 100 training videos and 23 hours of in-depth content, taking you through everything you need to know to build a successful e-com brand. And this is the important part. This isn't just stuff that you can look up on YouTube. This is stuff I've taken from real lessons and experiences building Happy Skin Co from zero all the way up to an eight figure per year brand. You're gonna get access to loads of custom tools, templates and calculators that I've used to build and run Happy Skin Co. There's gonna be one-on-one -on -one mentoring with myself and other expert coaches. And there's also weekly group Q&A calls with myself to make sure you're feeling completely supported throughout the entire process. And now what I've learned from consulting to everyone from people starting their very first e-commerce brand all the way up to brands already doing seven figures plus per year is that there's a process and a framework to follow if you wanna be successful with e-com. Now, if this is something you're interested in, hit the link below and go to join.viralbrandbuilder.com. All the information's there and you can book a call directly with me. Otherwise, send me a DM and we can chat there. Anyway, let's get back to the pod. What's your personal thoughts on rumination or negative thoughts? Is that something you still experience much today? Is that something you experienced younger when you were still again, defining and, and cultivating this person and this confidence that you have today, do you still ruminate or was that something you've worked to overcome and, and leave in the past? I don't think anyone is immune to the negative thoughts that they've had in your past. And there's times in the night or there's seasons in your life where, you know, events are out of your control and they and they come out at you. That's your villain that you have to deal with as a person. Like if it's Peter Parker and he has to deal with Uncle Ben all the time, coming out and even his darkest moments, all the failures that he had as a, as a hero, we all have to, that's our hero struggle. So I don't think you don't forget what happens, but at the same time, you don't glorify it by focusing on it and being surrounding yourself with people that remind you of that. Yeah. I just, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of Bruce Lee. I've done Kung Fu for eight years. Um, I've never like that point that you just mentioned about um, discard what, what isn't useful is something that I've, I've lived by as well, because I've had times where you can take on, you know, you might've had a couple small failures or someone might've said something that might've meant nothing by it, but you can take it in a certain way. And ruminating on these things can really, it really takes over and becomes such a negative thing. So I have really, really tried over the last 10 years to build this system. And I think a lot of it was subconscious as a, protect, a protection mechanism that my brain formed where if there's a negative input and it isn't exactly like you said, based around something I'm aiming at being better at and wanting to pursue, there's no point me taking it on because it's just going to crumble my mental health and, and, and lead to negative consequences. But the risk that I've had to, you know, be careful with is, hey, I don't want to then become living life with my blinders and not taking on any feedback and just becoming this arrogant asshole that does what he wants and says what he wants and abuses people in, in relationships and gets always takes, takes, takes. So it's a, it's an interesting balance that I feel like I've personally lived. I know a lot of people would have been living that, that balance as well, but I want to quickly take you back to something as well. Before we dive into personal brand, you mentioned something just before when you're talking about your past, you said a lot of adoptees have this identity crisis and a lot of questions that come up throughout their life. Now there's one perspective that I really love that you've spoken about before. Now um, you, you, you said like you were adopted. You could have looked at that. I was a mistake. I wasn't wanted by my parents, but on the flip side, you were chosen. You were chosen by, by, by your Australian parents. Now at what age did you make that choice? And was it something that 
you struggled with a lot and thought I need to get really clear on this or is it just the way your parents raised you that created that gratitude and that acceptance from, from early on in your life? Yeah. I think a lot of people feel like they don't have a choice to choose a story. So I remember reading Goosebumps as a kid and <laughs> when they started saying, hey, if you want to go through this door, turn to page 67, that was like, wow, that that really actually was for my brain really helpful to help me reinforce me as a chooser in life. So when you're faced with a fact, like you're adopted and the facts are your mum handed you over and there's people that chose you, you actually have two sets of pages I could turn there. And I really, you literally have a choice to be able to go, I will go down this door and, and because it's beneficial for me to believe that. But, and that's not a lie. It's not, you, um, What's the, what's the phrase? Is this song actually that's this is song lyric in my head? It was um, what was it? It's um, it'll come to me in a second, guys. It, two things can be opposite each other, but true at the same time. Yeah, yeah, I know. Right? Yeah, I know you I know, know what I'm trying, trying to say? Yes, yeah. yeah, yeah. So yeah, although I'm chosen, it's no fa- as a fact still that I was rejected, but I'm. It doesn't benefit me to believe in that choice because then I was rejected. Then it's a fixed mindset. You know, I'm, you know, I'm an orphan pity me. So I think that's where I was about 14 when I was presented like a religious gospel message on the idea of adoption that really changed my life. And also combination of just my creativity of choosing your own adventure. So what's your advice to people that they might be 30 years old, they might be 40 years, they might, you know, that have lived their whole life and they've chosen to to take the negative viewpoint of everything that's happened to them or their trauma or their challenges, but they, they now, you know, have been living with this view of the world and themselves and their story for, for decades and decades and decades, but they realize now they might've heard you say that and realize, Hey, I'm becoming a victim of my own story when I don't have to be. How do you then change your mind and flip that perspective when you might be 30, 40, 50 years old? Okay. There's, there's only three places you can live in your mind. This past, present and future. And you have to be able to use the overarching idea of those three tenses is do you want to live a good life or do you want to live a shit life? And there's no other option. It's like, I want to live a good life. Okay, tick. Okay, so in order for you to have a good life, we need to be able to pull out your past and look at what you did. And you need to be able to be brave to be able to look at your choices, the choices of others and how that impacted you. Peterson has a great, Jordan Peterson has a great authoring program, the self-authoring program. It's fantastic. It's like 20 bucks. And it's a great resource for people to do. Because it's a great framework of going, okay, you learn from your past, from the present. And in the present, you're sorting out what your current actions are. And then you're, you're focusing and doing the inner work on how do I craft a future, but not focus on what do I need to do to, ha- what do I need to do to have to be? A lot of the, our philosophy in the West is really warped. It's like, what do I have to do? So show me how to do it, mate. Like, okay, well, and then, then I have the result, then I can be successful. It's the other way around in my philosophies. Who do I need to be, the inner work, that shows me what to do, then I can have. 
Yeah, it's a very different real Exactly. Order. And I, I see that as well all the time. People will be like, they want to make money. Give me your best money tips and how did you do this with e-com? What products did I do? But no, the foundation is within. And that's, again, I, I agree that that is where a lot of the Western culture and civilization has been skewed. And I'm a massive, massive fan of capitalism, obviously. Mm-hmm. But I feel like that's some of the detriments that if you if you just thinking about the money and the, and the end outcome, but not starting with yourself and within, I feel like, one, it's going to lead you to being unhappy, but most of the time you look at anyone that's achieved like a high degree of success and you can look at their habits and their behaviors and their belief systems. And that's the foundation to, to, there wasn't like, okay, I put my money on this unless there's some crypto, you know, kid or whatever, but it's the, the foundation started from within. Now your obviously mission is around personal brand and branding and helping people tell their story. Storytelling is a big part of, of what you teach and communication when did that become your mission and, and your purpose in life? Because obviously you were a really talented musician, toured with some of the biggest artists in Australia. When did it when did it switch for you and you realize, hey, this personal brand space is really something I can have impact in? When when did that moment happen for you? And was that a conscious thought? Yeah, personal branding is a really new term. It's a really new concept in in the badge that we give it. And I started getting into it back when I was doing touring. Because I recognized from the moment I was competing with other people that we all look the same. Like we're all similar levels. If you look at the top finalists for any muscle building competition, there's very little increments of actual results. So there's levels of competency and we're all competent. But the thing that actually got me chosen wasn't my ability. It was my likability. I love that. And that's um, what I recognized. Like this, oh, and I was doing personal brand before it was a term. Because I'm like, okay, the thing that I've got to be good enough to be in the room, but I also got to get them to trust me and believe me. And they've got to spend time with me all the time. So I want to be able to, I've got to give them something to share with their other peers too to make a decision. And I learned that as a musician. And I saw that just over years affecting everything. If you're dating, because if you're dating someone, you've got to give the girl or the guy a story to be able to tell their friends with, you know, and it's, it's all about that brand is a synonymous for the person. If you're not defining yourself, you're letting other people define you for you. Yes. And what, one of the reasons I was really keen to have you on is obviously at the start, I mentioned some really big brands and some really big, you know, celebrities, some of the biggest in the world. Right. But now in 2023, as we are very close to moving into 2024, Personal brand isn't just for the biggest celebrities in the world. It's for everyone now. And what I'm so, this, the, the audience here is very startup focused and life change. Like, how can I change my life now? For some people might think, hey, I don't even have a business yet. Why should I even think about having a personal brand? But I've seen so many people use personal brand in their own story, in their own content, their own, their own purpose, their own, you know, values that they communicate, right? To then launch everything from that. Now, for those I'm going to ask you some more questions, breaking down personal brand in a second. But Good. for those who've never thought of it, how, what, again, it's a very new flashy term over the last five years, personal brand. Everyone's talking about it. What is personal brand for those that haven't really explored it much themselves? Okay. When I say the word real estate agent, what do you think of? Yeah. Like the suits, the the videos, the cars, yeah. the walkthroughs. Hey guys, you know, yeah. it's all the persona. Can you name seven real estate agents? Can what? you name seven toothbrush brands? Can you name seven accountants? And most of us go, oh, I could probably get three or four. And how many of them exist in Australia? Tens, I mean, of, thousands. tens of thousands. So how come only three exist in your mind? Brand. That's personal brand. So simply put, it's your professional or your personal reputation 
in your visibility and your credibility. So I believe that there are two buckets with personal brand. There is relevance and there is credibility. You can be relevant, but not credible. Like you can have a lot of followers on social media, but not be respected. Like you could go on maths and, you know, and be popular for a week or two, <laughs> but I don't respect you unless you've built something. You have to build something to actually have credibility. So I work with people who are credible. You've built these businesses, but they're invisible. People don't know who these people are, but they're starting to come in front of it. And it's like, wow, it gives them options as an individual for opportunities, but also helps, like you said before, like an Elon and a, and a, a Tesla, it drives attention to Elon, which benefits the business. So even if you don't have a company, it gives you absolutely a lot of options to attract things to you rather than, I believe that that's the best way to be able to have that laws of attraction thing is do personal brand and you'll attract a lot of people knocking on your door. And it's like as well, people can go to these networking events, but like this is what Joe Rogan speaks about. Why would I go and do all that? I would rather build something, take it, like take my time to do it, not being in a rush, not, not, you know, caving into external pressures. And if you do that long enough and you're, you're, you're committed enough to, to whatever your craft is, whatever your personal brand is, then the opportunities will start coming to you. And mm. that's a much more fun way to go about it. You don't always want to be knocking on doors and asking, asking, asking. People get sick of you and, and you're going to get sick of it very quickly. If you can build something, an authority in a certain space, that's great. But for the people just getting started, I'll be like, sweet, but what I don't, I don't, I haven't built a big business. I haven't, you know, you know, release heaps of songs and had heaps of success. How do people get started in personal brand and, and building a personal brand? And, and, and a question even before that is how do they decide what their personal brand is going to be based around? Yeah, it's a good question. There are, I reckon there's a framework that's really useful for to give people. And it's like building, imagine you're building a house and we call it, we call it the house of personal brand. This is my model. And the invisible part is always the most important because if you build something without looking at the foundation, it falls down. So when people skip this first part I'm about to tell people, they go straight to publishing content and stuff. They, businesses spend millions of dollars, thousands of dollars on knocking down their website and building it back up again because they skip this part. And the first part is your message. So you've got to work out your story. You've got to actually do the work and be a good historian of your story. Like every superhero has an amazing origin story. And we don't like superheroes just because of their powers. That's part of their message. We think of Spider-Man, think of crawling a wall, super strength, all that. But we also care about that he was also also an orphan in a way. Like, And Batman was an orphan. He had his parents die. They all have this story of, of key things that happened in their life. Well, let's talk about Spider-Man. Spider-Man was born where? where? Like in Manhattan? Who did he live with? Aunt and uncle. Aunt and uncle. So he didn't have mum or dad. Was he a cool kid at school or a nerd? Definitely not a nerd, yeah. He was a nerd. Was he rich or poor? Poor. poor. So what happened in his life that changed his life forever? Getting bit by a spider. But did he become a hero straight away? No. No, he let a criminal go and it killed his uncle. And his uncle said, great power comes great. Responsibility. And that's when he decided then I'm going to be a hero. So it makes sense then why he's wearing the mask. And I, at the beginning of this podcast, anyone who's this far down, I have done your service by actually doing my story. And when I told my origin story, that's my Spider-Man story. Yes. You need to have exactly at least those three things in your story. You say, where do you come from? What key moments happen in your timeline? And it will, nine times out of 10, make sense to why you're doing what you're doing. Mm -hmm. That's part of the loop that you need to create when people are trying to choose you. will be believed, like to you showing people that you're believable and likable. So your background. 
And then you go to the attributes. So what are you good at? Like he's good at climbing walls. He's strong, blah, blah, blah. So I'm good at personal brand strategy, marketing, and building businesses, right? So they're, they're, they're like my superpower, like marketing and helping kids. That's my costume. <laughs> but, what make, but this origin story explains why I'm doing it. It gives it purpose. But if I just sell this, I can come across really unhuman, inhuman, not relatable, not likable. So I think I take people through a massive exercise on, and it's a very, that's why I love doing this job. This adoptee from Korea who had identity issues is funnily enough, helping people find their identity through business brand identity and their personal identity. See how my story helps connect to my marketplace. And you must do that to begin with. So the first level is find your story, build, look at your history and be like, what is my capabilities currently right now? One of my interests as well and passions. So that doesn't have to be business related. It can be like you're surfing, you're in a sport, whatever it is. Then you move up the level. So you got your messaging then you start marketing. So you start publishing content around those messages. And then what that does is the input is content. The output is audience. And that's what we want to do. We want to build, no, you don't want, you don't need a million followers anymore. You don't need 50,000 followers. You need 1,000 followers to 10,000 followers within that niche and look at how many people actually follow you of that type of person. And then once you do that, you start building this audience around these interests and then it will become apparent to you what is doing better than the worst. And you start iterating. Then you move up the next level to, so you got messaging, you got marketing, then you monetize. So you start making a product ecosystem. You start making offers to this audience that you're building. Then eventually you get to media, which is all master, mastering, sorry, which is you've got to be a master in your industry. So hopefully you've done some iterations from publishing and you've made some products and it's, you're getting this data back. Now you want some, you want to win some awards. You want people like Forbes and you want to aim for whatever level you want to aim for, for those people to recognize, be on those stages. And then the fifth level is partnership. Like that is the Eiffel Tower effect when you're, Eiffel Tower attracts 84 million, uh, Eiffel Tower attracts 4 million people to Paris every year. But its real tourism value is not in the ticket sales itself with the Eiffel Tower, it's in attracting that many people to Paris. And everyone benefits from that. The restaurants, the hotels, everyone has to eat somewhere. That, so France loves it. Yep. And when you build a personal brand like that, you attract these opportunities like the uninspired, unemployed boy. And yeah, those boys, they use their relevance in their social media to be able to attract a, great, a lucrative partnership with the beer company and they're rolling in it. Yeah. So that's the power of personal brand. So start with message, start posting content around those messages and just throw spaghetti at the wall for a bit. And something I'm a big believer in, and this is again, another message that Gary Vee's been quite passionately speaking about for many, many years now. What you spoke about is great. Now, some, someone, might, someone just starting might think, oh, that all sounds all too complicated for me. I, I don't have any expertise, right? But something that has become a trend that's evolving a lot over the last couple of years is like we all know inauthenticity is the worst thing anyone could do. Now, you might be starting and you say, okay, Matt said I need to, you know, I've got my story. Sweet, that's clear. Now, what am I good at or what are my accomplishments? I don't really have a lot, but let me manufacture this facade, right? People can see through that really easily. But when you're just getting started and you might be an 18-year-old, you might be 21, 22 years old, and you're at the beginning of this journey, as long as you're open and upfront and transparent about, hey, I'm going on this journey here, 
maybe your the stuff you share is your lessons, your failures, your successes on the way. And as you start doing that consistently and you start being open and transparent about the things you did right and the things you did wrong and what the lessons were, people will follow you and respect you for that. But in authenticity, if you try and portray something you're not from the beginning, I feel like that's setting you up to fail a lot more. But don't let the fact that you might not have a million, you know, awards in the cupboard or you've built a million dollar business stop you from starting, right? Yeah, I agree. I think inauthenticity is connected to faking it to make it. I don't like the advice fake it to make it. I think that positions you to be looking like a sleazy sales dude who is like the 18-year-old life coach advice for marriaging, marriages. <laughs> Like, like what the hell are you talking about, mate? Yeah. So a practical framework to be able to start uh, speaking and, and I guess publishing content from scratch is being a good historian again and saying things like, this is what I learned. So use the word I learned. This is what I learned from the last of learning. This is what I learned from spending eight years doing judo. Well, here's the five principles that I really, really inspired me to be able to choose this. Here are the mistakes I made rather than you. So you was coming from an authoritative point of view saying, this is what you need to do to, this is what you need to avoid when you're starting your business. That's like from you really leaning on the your credibility. And as well, what can stop people? And I know it stopped me, me for a while as well, because I was a little bit more old school as in the fact before I started speaking and consulting and going on, on podcasts as a guest as well. I used to think like, like, why would I speak now? I'd see all the same people as you, the 18 year old, 21 year old life coaches. And to me, it, it really grinded my gears for some reason. I could have put my finger on it, but also I, I'm glad I got runs on the board before I started speaking, but also I probably held back too long because I, ha- I had this really high standard I wanted to, to hold myself to, but I got some really good advice. I can't remember who it was from, but it's like the, you, you only have to, you don't have to be the, the, the biggest expert in the world, but you only have to like educate people that are behind, like are, behind you on their journey, right? You don't have to be saying I'm the expert at everything e-commerce, but if you've got experience doing these, these core things and you've built, you know, a multiple six figure business, you can still talk about your experiences and share your learnings as well without having that impact because you're never going to get to be the expert, the top in the world from day one before you start speaking about it. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's still navigating that and not letting the fear of failure, the fear of judgment stop you from starting because when you start putting yourself out there, and this is another question I had for you, people start putting themselves out there for the first time. They open themselves up to all that feedback and it isn't always positive. For the people that are doing that for the first time, maybe they're a little bit more introverted. What's your advice for them in terms of navigating that and not letting that fear of feedback and negative, you know, words or, you know, disapproval from society stop them? My experience says you don't post content with the expectation that people aren't going to DM you saying who are you, like you look like a wanker and expect that to come from people who have known you for years. Like, especially if it's a disruption to the view that the people have followed you for years, they'll do it out of care. They might do it out of a place of, you know, you know, I'm going with this. Yep. So you need to actually be expected that you're going to ruffle fences, particularly with the people following for a long time. Yeah. And I think that's self-awareness exercise. So what are the, who would be like, this is like really practical now. Cause I'm very practical thinking is like, who are the top five people that are close to you that when, as soon as you know that you're going to post things about your experience, I'm most likely going, what, what could they say about that? What are you trying to do, Matt? Like, you, you sound like a wanker here. Blah, Stay in blah, your blah. lane. Stay in your lane. So the biggest, the way to kill a big dream is to tell the small thinkers. 
And that's what's going to happen straight. So expect that straight up. And that expectation will help shield you because I expected it. I, I, I'm beating the bullies with the punch. And I, what really helps me, I don't post my personal life really on Instagram. I don't share many of my friends. I don't, it's all commercial benefit. I'm very clear on what I want out of my things. And this is a really good thing for you to hear actually and your audience to hear is like, I like to challenge people right now. It's a very pastoral type of approach here is a lot of people can tell me why they got into business. There was a gap in the market. There's something that didn't exist and I started it and I couldn't believe I was the first one. But can you tell me what you want out of it? They're very different questions. What do you want out of your business? Do you want a lifestyle business that gives you 250000 a year, has a little bit of profit in it, gives you a car through the business, blah, blah, blah. A lot of people answer what do you want out of your business with how they got in the business. It's not the same. So when I go into Instagram, I know what I want out of it. I want commercial benefit. I have closed group for other things. So if you can go in knowing well, this is what I want out of it, then I can communicate, which I have done to all my family and friends saying, this Instagram account is purely unapologetically commercially beneficial to my brand. So if you don't like it, don't follow me. Yeah. Yeah. Now let me ask you this, because I think it'll, I think it'll help um, some people understand the, the pillars that make a personal brand. Who would be someone who's one of your favorite personal brands in the world that they've built? And then if you can unpack a couple of the pillars that makes their personal brand so awesome, so people can start to look at these big examples of personal brands and really understand it and reverse engineer. Okay. That's a really big, clear example. Here's some of the pillars that Matt mentioned about them. Now I can start thinking about, well, what are the pillars I'm going to lean into? One of my favorite personal brands is Lane Beachley. Lane Beachley is regarded as, you know, seven time world champion, but like she that, that, that can box her in. Like she wanted to be much more than that after retirement to help people through her journey of being adopted and all that. So what she does with the personal brand is, is she honors the, she honors the achievement she's done by showcasing that occasionally. So it's like looking at what pillars does she have? She has uh, achievements. So it's like reflecting back on that, which gives her and any new uh, followers a lesson on where, who she is. But then she has a pillar, just not talking about any expertise. It's just about her story. It's about how she's vulnerable about certain things in her life that she's happy for the public to know about her. And that gets the most engaged. It's not just for a transactional thing, but it, that's why people trust Lame. And that, nev- that negates this whole tall poppy syndrome of just talking about trophies one with, hey, I was here too. And that's what the, the beautiful thing about good movie is. They make the viewer feel up and down, up and down. They, it's a mixture of emotions. And then it goes into where, where am I heading? So she's now on a mission to be able to help people with wellness. So it shows this journey of this is where I come from. This is what I struggle with. This is what I've achieved. And this is where I'm heading. Come with me. You mentioned a really good, a really good word and a really good point, vulnerability. Now, where does that play a role? Okay. Let's just say you're, you're, you're this public person with a business persona, you're Matt Purcell, the branding expert. How do you then incorporate vulnerability to that without feeling like you're damaging your personal brand because I'm meant to be this authority, this leader, this strong person? Yeah, that's a good question. I think you've got to do the timeline exercise, which I do with my, my clients, and look back at the flip side. We do this flip exercise where like look at where you achieve something and that's just the outcome of a whole shit show of things that happen. So we've got to look at 
what event happened, what failures happened, what mental health issues did I have or struggle with, with identity, with other people telling me negative feedback. And I just want to curate all that and share that honestly about that. So I'm, I'm conscious of if I'm mentioning names of other people, I'm conscious of if it's going to be detrimental to the current state of my businesses. But really, I'm just being honest about where I was at in that particular timeline through my emotions, the industry at the time. And if I, I'm, and I was like going back in time as a character, literally in the movie saying, like almost like in shows when they recap on what happened, what the viewers just saw. So I want to take you back when I first started my business. I, was, I um, put down a house deposit. It's a true story. Put my house deposit down at 23 years old on a commercial uh, lease for five years. And I had no idea that the bond was four months bond, not, not four weeks, four months. So it was like 25 grand bond before I had put any paint on it, you know? And I was like, well, I had two months free rent to be able to get everything decorated and up and running. And I, I don't know if I'm going to do it. And, and then the secret, and then you dive deeper into those emotions. So it's at a, it's at a distance from my present sometimes, but I can be recent as well, but you just got to keep in mind who are the stakeholders. Yeah. And it's like what you said, what you mentioned before as well, like what are you comfortable sharing? And I think as well, the time, the time gap as well is a really important thing. If you like, cause it's difficult to share while you're going through something and it could be detrimental to your brand to share certain things where you're going through something. But I've observed something. I want to say if you agree that a lot of times when creators, influencers, business personas, whatever they may be, share a story, a really vulnerable story about something they're struggling with or have just struggled with and they're finally opening up about it. In terms of the virality factor, that goes viral and outperforms their other content a lot of the time. Now, you're, a, you're, you're like, like you said, you really understand pattern recognition. Why do you think vulnerability sells so much? Well, it's pretty, I think conditioning helps a lot. And also if we go primate, like primate, we, it's more useful for me to be able to know if someone is struggling with something for me to actually learn to see if I can avoid that thing. So selfishly, if I'm selfishly motivated and we go, oh, he's struggling with something, he might be an enemy. I mean, that's good. Yeah. Or um, I don't, I'm going through the same thing. I'm connecting and resonating with that struggle. So there's a mixture of, um, I think it's actually when someone's vulnerable with something, I think it's in our Western culture, it's, it's revealing a human part of us that can relate to something. We can't relate to success. So I think that connection through saying you have the same issue as I do. So back in the garden Eden, when Adam and Eve were caught out for eating the wrong fruit and they were naked and they covered themselves, that's a metaphor for what we do when we're in the shit. We go, we want to cover our mistakes. So therefore we're looking at the winner sometimes going, oh, is anyone feeling this shame? Is anyone feeling this guilt? And if everyone's covering it up, it's like, oh, I'm the, I'm the weirdo here. But someone starts opening up about certain things that relate to human issues. Oh, well, I'm not the only one. I'm so, thank you for sharing that. It really connected. Yeah, I, I, I agree. That connection point, that trust, oh my God, is just like me, even though they may be, you know, a few levels, you know, more developed on, the, on their career path. They may have more money in the bank account, but that like re- relatability factor. But for me personally, this is like on a personal thing that I've kind of struggled with as well. Not struggled with, but like kind of wrestled with like how much do I share what I open mm, up to. Frequency. Just, just me personally is like, naturally me as a person, not thinking about me being on social media and any sort of personal brand, but I, for whatever reason, have, you know, 
and I don't mean stoic as in like stoic in every way, but in terms of when I'm experiencing problems or struggles, I generally like did that, you know, old school man thing where you try, you keep it all to themselves. You don't really share it. Is, would your advice be to break that wall down? Or if you're a stoic person, do you think there's still a place for that in 2023 in the online capacity when you're sharing your life, your business, your growth, your challenges? Yeah. Uh, my, this is only my personal view. I believe there's a difference between your private life and your personal brand. Private life is, it's your five people. If you're going through stuff in real time, the business is like, I'm running out of cash. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about coming in here. Like, all that stuff that you're dealing with right now, don't go to public social media and be like, hey, guys, I'm feeling it today. I think I'm going to – that's just detrimental to everyone who's involved, to your, your staff, to your customers. Like what benefit does that give you to be able to do that publicly? But privately, you need to have your dream team. You take it there, you process it, you do all the necessarily things you can do relationally. And then when you're through it, it becomes a great lesson and you can share it then. I'm very careful about – keeping things separate in that line of private and personal yeah. for sure. You're someone that, that that draws a clear line between that. And I don't know why sometimes people think that's a controversial take to keep those things separately. Um, but, yeah, everyone's going to have where they are on the, you know, on the scale of completely open and shares everything, maybe a little bit of an overshare. We've all seen them. First, like you said, you've built an incredibly powerful personal brand and a lot of it is based around commercial, commercial benefit for yourself, but you're still providing value. So there's no guilt there. There's no guilt. Yeah. I would say the the challenge I, I put to people is, is what benefit are you getting from posting your kids on social media? What benefit are you getting from sharing or oversharing your relationship thing on social media and admit there's a benefit to it or you wouldn't be doing it. There is a benefit to it massively, right? So, uh, because it makes me think, my family or my friends will see me as a good parent. What is it? Like, be brutally honest about it. Is it because I want to be, I want people to think that I'm X? As long as you know that there's a benefit for that and you're okay with that benefit, who am I to say that's right or wrong? Yeah. But I just want to make sure people think about the question. Um, yeah, understand that. And yeah, you make your own choices, what you're comfortable with, but you understand why you're doing it and the benefit associated, then you can, it's like risk then cost uh, benefit ratio. You can, you can work that out for yourself. Now, in terms of this whole piece, personal branding, putting yourself out, they're getting really clear in your messaging. None of that's going to really be effective unless you're a good communicator. Now I know communication is something you've worked a lot to develop over the last decade. Where do people start in terms of, I want to become a better communicator. How do you go about doing that? Yeah, it doesn't necessarily mean you have to be a good speaker, but I think that's the holy grail of communication. Like typing and talking are very similar because you have to articulate an idea and you have to prove it. You have to make sense. <laughs> but talking is the ultimate form of communication because, one, it uses all, much more senses. And it's got tone. It's got body language in it. And it gives you, and as a personal brand, the, it becomes the cow, which you can cut up many steaks from. So if I'm, if I work really hard on one, there's the ideation phase. So there's a couple of phases here. So there's ideation, which is before you start talking or put on the camera, you must know what the point is. Every story needs a point. Every point needs a story. Or you're like someone who is like my, my grandmother who had Alzheimer's saying, oh, let me tell your story for an hour about something random with no point to it. So you must know what are my themes, what's my point, and then how is that going to, how am I going to present that in what medium? So we've got so many different platforms, like short form, long form, all that stuff. But the idea is still the same. Like is, is am I trying to teach people about personal branding? 
watch one little snippet of this. So I, I tend to go with what's the overarching ideas from long form and go backwards from there and chop it up because that becomes my marketing breadcrumbs back to the long form. Yeah. And then I want to work on my communication, which is how do I type? I'm working on my writing right now, actually. So I paid a guy three grand US to be able to train me in, in like in a couple of sessions. He has a massive Twitter following. And I'm like, well, I really am weak. I'm good at talking on camera, but I'm really not very good at this. And it's been a fixed mindset. I'm like, I'm just not a good writer. Yeah. And I'm just like, no, nah, I'm going to do it. And I want to pay experts good. And I, I want to pay way more to him to be able to teach me. But like that talking is the same, similar to typing because it forces you to be able to articulate a message. So when I'm on camera, I tell people it's a few things. It's key messaging, it's your tone, speed, and cadence, which becomes some of your Spider-Man attributes. Gary, Gary V's language is part of his, his outfit. He swears a lot. He has a cadence to things, right? And a volume to things. And you could actually, inter- you could, here's a true test of a good communicator. Can you do a impression of someone <laughs> and that has certain characteristics like, yeah, like Jack Nicholson or these actors. So we've got to have our own, we've got to work on that. And anyone you see in the news as teleprompter, reading a teleprompter, that skill to someone who's on the Hormozy who's worked on it, they've all spent hours looking at the screen, getting play gameplay feedback and going, I sound like crap there. And they spent hours in the can. I work with people all the time. I help people with keynote speeches to social media videos, to doing courses, to being experts, because I believe right now, man, I think there's still a place for celebrities in every, every culture and every times. But right now with AI and a whole bunch of things, general information being the norm, you can't just get away just giving away general information. You have to become an expert and share your own personal experience. So in order to be that expert, you need to step in front of the camera and get over yourself and actually, and it's it, good communication is planned and good communication is learnt. Yeah. And, and you say something as well with, with, you know, people speaking on camera and speaking being the main form of communication is really important. You mentioned something like the greatest rewards are for the people that put themselves in front of a camera. Now, some introverts might be like, oh, but I don't want to do that. Do you, like, why is it, why are the greatest rewards reserved for those that put themselves out there in, in camera? Like where, where did you make that decision? How did you come to that realization? I would say for the introverts, there's two avenues for you. You can write because information is how is information consumed. Through talking, which you've got to talk out loud. You cannot have a camera on. You can just be an audio audio person or writing or being in front of that. And I think I've seen from what, what I've seen is great writers eventually demanded by their audience to be meet them in person. They're forced. Adam Grant is a great example. Great author, great writer, Atomic Habits, all that stuff. But he's a writer. But he's, now he's being forced out because people are demand. And also his business plan and all that is going, we need to see the person who's behind the words. So eventually you're going to people, if you're really good, people want to actually get to know you. That's why we don't have, oh, well, I don't know the stats on this exactly, but I don't think marriages would last very long if it's just through type. <laughs> very true. Yeah. So I think we want to get closer to the person that we trust as much as we can, and that's through seeing them in every way we can that way, not just through one form. In terms of being Coming comfortable with the uncomfortable, is that, is that something that's been a theme of your life in order to progress each, each level up? I think helping, one of the things that helped me is knowing when things are performance. 
and performance doesn't mean you fake anything. Performing is the athlete on on the on the um, on the field. He's performing or she's performing. They're putting extra effort in to become to put their best foot forward for within a t- period of time with an audience watching them. And I think that really helps me because there's a difference between being gig ready and rehearsing in your bedroom by yourself. And I think you can only, there's a saying in, in, in philosophy again, you can only fight the way you practice. You can only speak the way you practice. And on that as well, you, you spoke about in terms of becoming a good communicator, there's two, two points. Now there's everything in the middle, you actually doing it, but there's the, there's the preparation, getting really clear on what's the point, what's the purpose, what's the message, right? Mm-hmm. And then as well, this is a discussion I had with Dane who was backstage with Andrew Schultz and stuff on the weekend and we went, went to that gig and like immediately after reviewing it, how did it go? What could I have done better? So like you need to get really clear uh, on, on the point and the message up front and then meticulously review after, after the fact, because it's that feedback, that internal feedback loop that is going to allow you to develop and improve without both of those two things. It's my, in my opinion, your growth is going to be, you'll still grow and you'll still improve just by naturally doing it. But without the clarity and the planning up front and without the, re- the reviewing of the data and how you went after and the analysis, your growth is going to be so slow to, to, to make improvements. So I want to, I want to start, we'll start wrapping up. There's a few things I want to ask you before we leave now. It's social Kung Fu, really, really cool um, brand name for, for what you're doing. Explain to people that are listening or haven't heard of social Kung Fu, what it is and what inspired you to start it. So we have maths, English and science, and we have Krav Maga, boxing, karate for physical self-defense. But research has shown the most common form of abuse in our culture is it kicks or punches is actually words and talk, like type and talk. But we don't have any defense code for that. You can't just, if someone says a word to you, you can't just Will Smith them in the face <laughs> anymore. You get sued. You get in trouble. And words create worlds. That's our phrase. Words create worlds. They get you hired. They get you fired. They could get you divorced. They could get you a date. But no one teaches you how to be able to defend yourself against accusations or against gaslighting or gossip and all these things that students are going through at the moment and what I went through. So I had a business called The Green Room. We had three campuses up in the Hunter Valley, we had 600 families every week we would mentor through music academics and life coaching. And we had um, school teachers teaching all that. And I recognized this in the the students we had that that the kids that would be on the edge of life would, the the biggest skill gap was they didn't know how to, what to say. And they wish they, we've all had those moments where we could replay a rerun of a moment and say something, insert what we wanted to say. And that's what I taught them. I'm like, wow, this is something, but it's not trialed and tested yet. So again, using personal branding, I got it into some schools to trial it and into more schools to trial it and got the data from it. And now we've built this course and now sold it to, or working with the Sydney University, the head professor of the Psychology Association of Australia is doing research on this program. She is the best psychologist for this job. And it will be the first evidence-based verbal self-defense training for kids by next year. So what's some of the tactics, obviously it's a whole program and we don't have time to go into absolutely everything you can do, but generally speaking, what's some of the tactics that you can teach these kids in school or even adults outside in the workplace, there's still bullying and threatening situations to help use words, de-escalate these potentially bullying situations or threatening situations. Simply just white belt is knowing there is another option to just being a fight or flight response in the middle of this question. It's very philosophical. 
someone says, hey, you're fat and you're stupid. And it's like, why did you say that? Putting it back on you now. Mm. So you hear about Rachel and blah, blah, blah. She cheated. And I'm like, how do you know that? Rather than agreeing or that's how gossip gets out of control and becomes a bushfire. We just allow it to go. Let's just teach students to become good questioners and good philosophers of what claim you're giving me. That's what the first premise is. And how do bullies respond to that? Usually tongue-tied. Yeah. Like the results are like from kids from year five to year 12. Like they look like dicks <laughs> yeah. if it's not true. Yeah, and yeah, if it yeah. is true, then it's like, oh, I'm glad I clarified that. Mm-hmm. And But it makes you formidable as a person. No one messes with you when you can hold your ground and, be, and use – because your tongue is a sword. The tongue is a weapon. It's more mightier than the pen. Uh, the pen is more mighty than the sword, they say. And that's through our speech. And when you give, when we give kids the words and the scripts like we do, the amount of confidence it gives people because it gives them an option rather than just agreeance or avoidance. Now, what was your personal experience with bullying? Was, was, did you have a lot of experiences with bullying that drove you to want to give back and help, you know, crack down on this epidemic of bullying across the country and across the world? I was bullied and became the bully. And so when my parents split up when I was six, my mum moved to a busy highway at this bus stop and I moved schools. And that was my bus stop was a portal to being bashed by year seven kids, like five of them every day for like, and I just hope one day that they wouldn't see me as invisible, but I was the only Asian kid in that bus. And one day they threw me in a whiz bin on the highway, rolled me down. And for weeks they did that. And I was outnumbered. And my dad put me in a martial arts lesson so I could defend myself. And the principal dealt with the kids because my mum found out I stunk like trash. So that, that was evident. And when I started using martial arts on these kids, I just would Jackie Chan people in the head. <laughs> I'd be like, F you, mate, mate. And I felt good. But I got trouble with, the, you know, the, the, the parents, the principal, and, and threatened about the police. So I became the bully. But I had no tools or, or, or words to be able to deal with the words. So, and, so they weren't bashing me anymore because I could hit them back. But they were throwing words at me and I was bashing them with fists. And that's why I'm like, we need something. Be- I need something better than just martial arts. Well, let me ask you this. It's 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 a tough question. I'm not I'm not sure if you've got an answer for it, or you probably have some ideas. But you know, we're getting to the age that you know a lot of my friends ha- have kids already, or, or or are starting to you know build families, and their kids are starting to get into school. What can parents do? I know it's very difficult, and it's, there's no black and white answer. But I, is there anything parents can do to help avoid your child turning into a bully? Yeah, there are. Don't be a bully yourself to them. But I had a, a business I sold. I, I had a business for eight years that dealt with 600 kids a week with families that had kids that would send me their kids and be like, fix them. I'm like, I can't fix them. I've got to fix you. You have to do some work. Because whatever good influence you have of, as a coach, they have to go back to that, that place called home and we have to look as parents at ourselves in the goddamn mirror and be like, am I monkey see, monkey do? That's the first point of view. Is like That's the hardest pill to swallow for any parents hearing, hearing oh. this. They are a reflection of you. And some would say, Matt, that's bullshit because I've done everything I can to help them. Maybe you spoil them, maybe not. But we've got to take some responsibility for that as parents. Second thing is we do have to become really good detectives of, um, of our kids to be able to go, what is the cause and the bullying is the effect. So I assume, and you can, I've got psychologist friends I always back this up with, what is the pin 
that's making them, that's causing them to act this way? Is it mental illness related? Is it there are things going on at school that is under the surface that you aren't aware of, but that there is something there and you just, you got to assume there's something there, but you've got to uncover it and you've got to build a relationship with the kid, anything you can. Like if you, do you have a shoulder to shoulder activity you can do with your kid every week? It was just you and them. Like you'd just be fishing. You've got to spend time together shoulder to shoulder before you can earn the right to have face to face kids with teenagers because I've, I have literally helped teenagers choose life for years now. And I know that the main cause is parents, from my experience, bad influences at school, also in, in gangs and things like that. But I've seen parents save the day. I've seen community save kids' lives from going down the wrong path. And I've seen some tragic stories too. I've had, unfortunately, kids go to juvie, lose their lives to certain dumb decisions, and it's heartbreak. It's, it destroys me. Um, but we've got to do all we can. When we're, yeah, we've got to look at what we can do. It's, it's, it's the classic saying as well, like hurt people hurt people. Now, I've, I'm, I'm really close to my year advisor at school. I've spoken to him all, all, all the time over the years since I've left, hearing about what's going on at school, you know, how many kids are living under the poverty line and, mm-hmm. and, and all the kids that, again, from my experience talking about what's going on, like, you know, most of the kids that are causing trouble is because they have it 10 times worse at home. Mm-hmm. It's like pri- providing that like stability and safe space for them is, is a really cool, pivotal piece in that now have you have are you, are you having like are you having thoughts about you know do you want to is this something that you want to do for the rest of your life social social kung fu is this like a big because i know you've got a lot on and, and you talk about in terms of building a personal brand you don't want to be a general store mm. right you don't want to be a general store is this something that regardless of how far the business and corporate stuff you take forward you want to remain a core part of who you are and your message and your value to the planet yeah I, I, this was, this came as a surprise, but it makes the most sense with my life that social Kung Fu will most likely be the most impacting thing I've, I'm going to do in my life on a global scale. Like it's the app's nearly done. It'll be the first evidence-based program in Australia slash one of them in the world by one of the top universities, Sydney. So this isn't like woo woo stuff. This is like science backed. And I think it's, it's funny. Like my, I'm very clear on figuring out what I want out of things. Like uh, you would have assumed through this chat. And I think my agencies, it's like um, they all serve my bigger businesses. So it's like owning the baker, butcher, the things on the strip that they all pay each other and they all serve the other entities. And that's what I've always wanted to do was like, I want a production company. I want this, I want that. And I will contract to other people, but I've got them to serve social Kung Fu and the business academies and all that too. And it's, it's amazing. I will say just one more thing on the, um, the kids and being bullies. One of the things that's helped bullies become not bullies anymore. And I've helped bullies not become bullies is giving them responsibility, like the chance to earn something for themselves. So I've helped one kid named, I'll tell, I'll tell a quick story. Ben, was a kid who got suspended, was on the edge of expulsion. He'd wag school, swear at teachers, just run amok, smoke, whatever. And he'd started sessions with me and we took a liking to each other because I was like, you know, I see you, you're acting like a piece of crap. And he's like, you're the first person to call me out. It was cool. I called people out and it was, and it was return respect. And he'd left school one day, wag school, come to my office. I'm like, what the hell are you <laughs> doing here? It's like, oh, I just want to hang out. I'm like, you can't be here, man. You're meant to be at school. And I'm going to have to get you back at school. And I called his mom. I said, listen, actually we're built, we're actually building and renovating the, the studio 
you reckon Ben would come down and paint with us? Yeah, if he wants to. Because he saw me as cool and my mates were all cool influencers too. That paint job, he'd be down there, he'd, he'd volunteer, he wanted, he'd be like, Matt, can we paint something else? <laughs> and he was around different crew because I offered him a different responsibility outside of the one that was rewarding him for something. And I've seen kids walk into YMCA's or like oh, PCYC, sorry, PCYC's with boxing and all that there and walk out completely different. We've got to be able to get our kids not just a home, get a home right, but give them different influences in their life, coaches. And I've seen them, like boxing's help people, music's help people. That's that ascension of potential. Yeah. And that's why they get, that's why people in gangs, I've helped people in gangs and they, no wonder they love the gang is because they're getting rewarded for the things that they're doing. There's a brotherhood there. And there's a path to follow. Like there's, even though it's not the right things, there's there's goals to hit, there's ranks to move up, there's money to make. Hell yeah. You just got to give, provide someone like a, a path, a roadmap for something bigger and greater. And a lot of the times if they're parents, maybe they're, you know, alcoholics or they just working, maybe it's a single mother just has to work all the time. Never at home just to provide, you know, some food and rent for, for, for the, for their children's roofs. Sometimes a lot of the time, cause I got, grew up in the suburbs. I didn't, you know, I grew up with a lot of people that were, that were quite poor, went to public schools my whole life. A lot of the times, like these sorts of programs that you run or going to a PCYC or speaking to the school council, it's the first time anyone's actually shown any real support or given them a pass. So it's like, it's really important that there are avenues for these kids to, to follow. And same as any adult as well. If you're feeling lost in life, you need a path. In my opinion, I always, if I'm hitting a bit of a funk in life. I always think about where, where can I go? What's a big, exciting goal that I can, mm. that I can aim towards because worst case I can wake up tomorrow and I can chase that. If I'm chasing something that makes me feel good and excites me, all the rest of that no head noise and that funk I've been feeling fades away. So Beautiful that you're doing that. Um, I'm excited to watch that continue to grow. What's the next 12 months look like for you? What What are you spending your time on? Where can people find you, work with you, learn more about you if they're interested? Uh, I'm building two things at the moment. So personal branding, we only work with like about 20 people at a time. So we obsess over people um, and build them from being relevant. Or they're credible, more relevant, relevant to be credible. And we'll be doing that next year. But like, I think the big focus is social comfort and business academy with Janine Ellis. So Janine Ellis is the founder of Boost Juice, Betty's Burgers. She's the non-executive. Well, she did chairman. Betty's Burgers as well. Betty's Burgers, um, a whole chain of things. She's a Shark Tank, a celebrity apprentice. She is the mother of business owners in Australia. <laughs> yeah. And um, so I'm in business. We're in business together. We started the Business Academy, which is the idea that we want to give business owners a place to be able to come to, to learn the live and learn experience of how to grow a successful business and headed it by Janine from her non-academic background of being a single mom with three kids starting boost juice at a kitchen table to being the biggest uh, juice bar in the world. She's an Aussie from South Australia. Like it's incredible. So it's a pleasure working with her and we only have 40, we take, we do four courses a year um, with Janine and our team, 40 people at a time four weeks or four, four days options. And, um, that's our next focus. It's, um, it's very exciting. So it's, it's a startup, but it's moving so quick because yes. of, because of personal brands. Janine's personal brand is, is amazing. And where, where, where's, is like, where's the best place to find the Instagram website? Just hit yours and you've got all the links. Yeah. There. Just where's hit mine. Place? Matt Purcell official is good in the business Academy, Australia. So check it out. Awesome. Uh, Matt, thank you so much for your time sharing everything you did. Obviously we could talk for another hour about oh, everything inside sure. your head, but uh, no, thanks, man. we'll leave it there. Thanks so much, bro. I appreciate it. Good luck with everything in thanks, the future. Bro. You too. Thank you. Cheers.
All right, guys, thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode or you got something out of it, do yourself a favor, do me a favor, do your friends a favor and share this with them and they can come along on this journey with us. Thanks again and I'll see you next time.